0: Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless. And that's why Zenium provides a complete solution for both so you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your organization. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Debbie Cohen and Kate Rusky zumer They're the authors of the book, Humanity Works Better, Five Practices to Lead with Awareness, Choice, and the Courage to Change. And this book's all about injecting more humanity in the workplace. And I think we need this more than ever. And if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you believe that too. So you're gonna get a lot out of this episode. I could go on and on about how great they were, but you gotta listen for yourself. Enjoy the episode And Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'm a heavy user on all those platforms. Love connecting with listeners. And so thanks for all those connections and direct messages. Those are great. And also, if you don't mind, we love getting reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and a written review. It'd be amazing. Enjoy today's episode. I'll talk to you next week. We got lots of good stuff coming. Debbie, Kate, it is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on to the show.
1: We're delighted to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: By the time this podcast releases your book, new book, Humanity Works Better, Five Practices to Lead with Awareness, Choice, and the Courage to Change should be out. What inspired you to write this book? It sounds like you have quite a bit of a background where you're just like, you know what, we need to have more humanity in the workplace. Tell me about that.
2: We probably got there from different points of view, but collided somewhere along our life journey. So, what happened for me is I started my career out working with young children and how to help families and young children be the very best that they can be. We looked at this pure potential that comes into life and how do you help nurture and foster that and support the family unit doing that. And then I got really fascinated about. People and organizations and how they work and how come when we get to be grown ups, that pure potential and passion is squished out of us. And how much of that is a roadblock internal to us? And how much is that a systemic roadblock that organizations create in their structure? And so that journey led me into leading HR for a bunch of different companies, not because I was passionate about HR, because it felt like such an important function for potential to be unleashed.
1: And that's how I collided with Kate. That's right. So I had a, a long career in uh, advertising, and then I started learning coaching. This was way back in 2003, and I you not you can't see me, so nobody knows this, but I'm tall, and people back in 2003 were like, "Are you going to be a basketball coach?" <laughs> we sort of forget that, like way back then, you know, nobody knew what a coach was, and now everyone calls themselves a coach. But I started doing this coach training, and I was like, "Oh my god." organizations need these skills. You know, we joke all the time, Deb and I do, about like, these are not rocket science skills. These are pretty simple skills, but it's like somewhere along the way we have forgotten them. And I really was so passionate about bringing these skills into organizations to have them be better humans together. As Kate and I started
2: doing more work together, part of what we noticed is There had been such an emphasis on productivity and efficiency that people were just the lifeblood was squished out of people. There was nothing left for them to give. And we'd be doing these trainings with people and they would know nothing about one another. And to Kate's point, the fundamental skills of being good humans with each other, I don't know if we're ever really taught, I mean, we had big conversations about what does it mean to be a good human when we started writing this book. And we're like, boy, there are just some basics here that like maybe we skip over somewhere in grade school or high school or somewhere. We get to drive a car. How's it you don't get a license to have good human skills, you know? And so part of the catalyst for us was, boy, these roadblocks that make work really hard and really messy, if people had basic skills and frames of references to use when you hit those inevitable messy moment roadblocks, work would be so much better and people would be in different kind of relationships with one another. So let's see if we can make that happen.
0: I think it's fascinating that you two came together because Debbie, if you had an HR career, you probably got into it because you wanted to unlock potential. You wanted to create a great workplace, all these things, but HR is a lot of times tactically working on compliance and totally crappy little issues like investigations and, and stuff like that. And then you meet Kate and you probably, it's like she comes at it from a coaching point of view. And she's trying to probably unlock the best version of whoever she's working with. And so having you two together seems like a beautiful pairing. It's a
2: beautiful pairing. Right. I love that. <laughs> and, you know, for me, I was your least typical HR People. The people who gambled on me in their organizations, like kudos to them because I didn't go into HR because I thought it was this noble profession. Mm. I went into it because I thought it was fundamentally messed up and it was not adding value into organizations. It was focused on doing things for maybe not the right reasons. And so I went in it to go inside and see, I can't just sit on the outside and complain. I have to go inside and understand what's not working and can it be done differently? And if it's done differently, do you get a different result? And the answer to that is you do. And that's partly the beginning of the work that Kate and I did. I asked her to join me when I was the head of HR for Mozilla and create a fundamental different kind of leadership program that did unleash the best of the people that were there.
1: Yeah. It was one of those things where instead of teaching people how to do, we get asked this question all the time, can you come in and teach our team how to do a one-on-one?
0: It's like... What? It seems so basic. The answer is like, no. Just, just be a normal human and ask questions and listen. Like, is it? Isn't it easy? <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. It's like, <laughs> like, no, we won't do that. But we will teach your people how to listen, really listen. And we talk about the three different levels of listening in our book. And we'll share with them, like, here's what you can do. You can start acknowledging the people on your team for who they are being, not just what they are doing. We actually are really coming at it from such a, a human potential and a coaching perspective in terms of how do we actually start to teach people how to teach the other people? They're not a resource they're human beings with, we started this conversation, you know, things are so much more complicated. We're working from home with dogs and jingle bells at the door, <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? You know what I mean? It's like, how do we actually teach people to be in that moment, in that relationship with that human being? And it's going to be different. It's going to be different every single time.
2: So much of what we see and have experienced and heard from people is You know, I always think of it as like, you put on the coat. I have to look professional. I have to be professional. I have to be a manager. I have to do leadership. And we're like, what, what, what? Like, like, take off the coat, right? Put down your armor. Like, who's underneath there? And so much of this, which is why the subtitle of the book is Awareness choice and the courage to change starts with people understanding themselves. I am just a big believer that you cannot manage people and you certainly cannot effectively lead people if you don't understand what's important to you, who you want to be, how you show up, the impact you make. And when you do that, if you are a leader of a Fortune 50 company or if you are a startup or if you are somebody running a book club group, right? A good parent. Those are things you need to know yourself. Stay aware of what matters and why. Choose that, and then align what you do with who you want to be in the world. Try that, folks, and see what happens.
0: Kate, you you were saying a second ago that employers, leaders, they treat people like resources, a cog in a wheel, a number, you know, employee ID number, whatever. Like they're just they're not treated like humans and. If you can make that shift to treat people like humans and allow people to bring their whole selves to work, what kind of an environment are we talking about? Like what kind of magic could happen? Because I imagine it's a lot better place to work at.
1: It's true. You know, we talk about this disruptor dinner and we write about this in the book. So I'm going to give this away, you know? So there was a disruptor dinner. Deb was actually hosting it. I was a little bit like, why am I here? (laughs) There was a little bit of that going on for me. Anyway, they they were talking about this kind of piece of technology that was going to be sort of a just in time learning piece. So if you were a manager someplace in the states and you were managing someplace in Spain that you would get a notification like, oh, there's a big bank holiday coming up and, you know, you might want to know that so you could make the relevant coverage decisions that you needed to make and, you know, so on and so forth. And somebody in the group was like, Well, that's good, but like what how is that gonna help with productivity? (laughs) I was in the kitchen. And it was like somebody lit a fire underneath me because I, it was this whole idea that we think that productivity doesn't have anything to do with the human beings I just launched into. Well, it will matter because if I feel like my manager is getting curious, what am I doing for the long weekend? What plans do I have that I'm going to feel cared for? I'm going to feel like this manager, gives a shit about me, right? you know what I mean? And if that's the case, when it comes time, because we're in a crunch, something is happening in the organization and they need me to do more work, chances are I will, because I feel cared for. I feel supported in that way. That's in a nutshell, what Deb and I are so passionate about is don't assume that people know you care about them. Treat them like you care about them. Right.
2: Well, one of the things that's coming up for me too, is we have a number of clients right now, and two of them in particular are coming to mind where these leaders and this organization is so focused on creating what they think of as human centered organizations, starting with their people and that the profitability will come because of their people. One of them, and I'll just cite this because it's all hot and current in the world right now. One of them has 94% retention.
0: Wow, that's incredible. How big of an employer is
2: it? 94%. They are in rapid, they are doubling, doubling, doubling. So right now they're just under 500. Wow,
0: that's incredible.
2: Doubling, (laughs) doubling, doubling. Rapid growth, huge change, 94%. Retention, 100% virtual workforce. So I just need to offer that out. Another client that we have who is not 100% virtual, completely different industry, has doubled and exceeded their revenue targets halfway through this year have hit their end of 22 revenue targets. So there is something very concrete about getting the best out of your people when you give the best that you have to them. And I don't mean cafeteria lunches and dry cleaning and fancy workout. Sleeping pods. Yeah. I mean, and you know, look, I was part of all that. Like I get it. And there's just something to be said for people feeling like they matter and that they are part of something big and exciting and- And fulfilling. And her treated kindly. That's right.
1: And I, I, I mean, you know, one of the things that I see all the time is that- This is very fulfilling for the people who are learning these skills or relearning these skills in some cases, right? They want to be better humans. That's very fulfilling work. How do I create deeper, more sustainable, and dare we say it, more loving relationships at work? Then that's more fulfilling for everyone, Right. And we know that, as Deb has just said, it actually leads to more productivity. But we've been having this productivity conversation in the wrong way in our book. You know, we've we've been having it back to, you know, my lens of
2: individual roadblocks, systemic roadblocks as how to fix the systemic roadblocks absent of what the humans in that system need. And our advocacy and the reason the book is written for you, for the individual, not just the top of the house, but for every human is we're just a big believer that when you start to change, the people around you will start to change. And so if something isn't right in your workforce, if something needs to change, you can start choosing to show up differently and see what kind of, Effect that makes if it doesn't make an effect, you might not be in the right place. But it might surprise you what happens when you show up differently.
0: I pulled out this quote; it was pretty impactful. The quote says, "Something is terribly wrong with our work relationships. If people are literally sleeping on the floor next to their colleagues and have no idea what's happening for them as human beings." End quote. And I'm just curious, like, why can't we have deep relationships? Why aren't people asking about what's going on with them in life? Because Work is a lot better when you have deep connections and it's easier to be productive when a trust is there and things are just moving faster. What is it about the modern workplace that doesn't allow us to have deep connections?
2: It's hard. Emotions are hard. We love to focus on the doing of work, but heaven forbid, we talk about how it feels to do that work or how we feel. Doing that work, right? Like that's messy, hard work. And it's, you can't quantify it and put
1: it in a nice little box. You have to deal with the mess. And my feeling is, is that work sort of hasn't caught up with, you know, what is needed in the workplace. We're actually in the land of emotional intelligence. We are in the land of emotions, which is the messy part of what we always talk about, right? If someone's having a bad day or if someone's mom is in the hospital, right? You know what I mean? There becomes this fear of like, uh uh-oh, they're going to have emotions and I don't know how to deal with it. That's exactly right. Like back off, I don't know how to deal with it. And because I think that what happens a lot of the times that in a shorthand, we're here to get stuff done. Like that's what we have to do. We are here to solve problems and do things. But if someone comes with a whole boatload of emotion. I don't know how to solve that problem. Or request. Like Kate
2: and I were doing a training. We got asked to do some work with an executive team on decision-making. Like how do they make decisions, good decisions aligned with, you know, the kind of company they want to be. So we have this fun scenario of, so an employee shows up for their one-on-one with you and they're like, great news, Brandon. I have an opportunity to go to Bali for six months on a meditation retreat. And we're like, so what do you do? And they were like, can't we just say, no, what about this? What about that? And no one paused anywhere in their reactions to say, well, what's important to you about that? At which point the person might've said, well, my dad died two months ago, and this is an opportunity for me to go And Like we skip right over it because it's about what's the effect of that on us. And we don't spend time Understanding what's important to this person over here and from that place of understanding, then what's possible. We get to the we need to control this and shut it down and stop this because it's uncomfortable. We write about that in reactive tendencies, right? As opposed to seeking to understand what's important and from that place, what's the realm of possibility that might actually strengthen. relationship and build greater connectivity. But that's a skill we can help with. But it was super fun. We had, you know, somebody play the employee and it was, you know, a super fun, very benign kind of playful way to land the point of the importance of pausing and sort of checking in with yourself and seeking to understand the other human.
0: For a lot of employers, they're they're not operating this way. Leaders are not operating this way. This seems like a big change. What's the first couple steps? I mean, you have... In your book, you talk about the five practices to to lead with awareness and choice and courage to change. So maybe outline some of the steps, maybe all of them, you don't have to go too deep into it because I want people to check out your book. But if people are looking to like, I love what you're saying, I want to create a more human-based workplace. I want people to bring out the best version of themselves, work better. It's going to result in productivity. What needs to happen in order for that to take place?
1: You know, Deb said this earlier, I'm just going to reiterate it, which is it's so funny because we absolutely believe in systemic change, but we actually believe that that happens with one person at a time. If you start to, and you is really at the center of our book, if you start to behave differently, you will actually create a different reaction from the people around you. So this book is really written for the individual, whoever that is. And we walk you through five different practices. It starts with creating safety, working together, claiming value, owning your impact, and my personal favorite, daring not to know, right? And embedded in each one of those are very specific skills that help you. And we wrote this in this way on purpose because... You might be like, no, I think my team feels pretty safe with me, but boy, we're not so good at working together. So you might want to just dive into that chapter and see the skill that we actually talk about in there and just try that on, like read about it, try that on and see how that works. Because different people have different strengths and there are some things that some of us find so easy to do and others of us really struggle with those things. And so we've tried to create a bite-sized version underneath each one of these practices and embed some very specific skills underneath it so you can just start where you need to start.
0: You said that your favorite was the last principle, dare not to know. Well, unpack that for me. Why, why is that your favorite? <laughs> How
1: long do you have? <laughs> right. Right? So the thing I love about daring not to know, and it's the last skill, and we write about it uh, lastly on, on purpose, because there is this pretense, and Deb talked about it a little while ago when she was talking about, like, we put on this armor, like we we think we have to be big man or big woman on campus and sort of prove that we know more. And, and somehow that means I'm a leader. And my personal favorite and why I love this so much is because you cannot know everything, you cannot. And our very strong feeling is, you have hired the people on your team to come and work with you. And we want you to tap into that team more often than not. And I think the fear is, is we can't say, we've got this problem and I don't know how to deal with it. Because we're afraid that people are gonna think that we don't know what we're doing. And part of where we're looking at that is saying, Actually, I think if in certain circumstances, you have the guts to say you don't know what to do, that that will actually incite engagement. People will step forward because they want to help you. They want to solve these problems and they want to contribute in that way. And so the skill that we talk about underneath Daring Not to Know in particular is be curious with the people around you because they're going to see different things Than you do,
2: which is a great skill in this particular practice. If you're not courageous enough just yet to say, I don't know because I can say, boy, Brandon, I'm curious if you know how to make my headphones set work without me being (laughs) like, I have no idea how to make my headset work, right? And you'd be like, hey, you know what? There's some settings right up here that you might want to check out. Oh, well, voila.
0: Now we're engaged. We're building the connection. That's
2: exactly right there, right? And I could be vulnerable with you. You could be like, oh, gee, I got this puppy barking in the background. Like, Like, it doesn't, you know, it starts to shift. And the other thing I love about daring not to know in surrender is, is it creates space for other people to say the same thing because boy, oh boy, how much time gets wasted in a workplace with people trying to fake it and make it up instead of just saying, boy, I could use some help here to figure out how to connect my plug into this outlet because I've never done this before. And I don't know. Who's done it before? What do I need to understand about this? And am I clear about the outcome we're trying to get to? Then let's see what I can do from there. And then I'll let you know what help I need next. Like asking for help is one of the hardest things for people to do because somehow we think it's a sign of weakness as opposed to what Kate was just saying, an opportunity that lets other people in.
0: You both said that this book is really written for the individual. It's empowering them to take action and to do their part to make a better workplace and become more human. Do either of you have tips to share about how do we create better connections at work, whether it's like really tactical practices or just even like certain questions that you would ask? I'm really curious because I love this part of it. It's just hand-to-hand combat. It's like the one-to-one relationships. One relationship at a time can really make an impact long-term. And I think you guys are saying the same thing. I mean, I, I really, I love it.
2: It's ping pong on this, gate So here's one that's just like jumping into my brain. Every quarter or so, I speak on a panel at Berkeley for new managers. And every single time somebody's like, I can't get my team to engage. I set them up. We have this agenda. Nobody comes with any ideas. Nobody's doing anything. I said, well, you know, have you ever asked them? Have you ever asked them? Like instead of you coming in with an agenda, what if you ask them what feels important for them to talk about and create the agenda from their point of need and then get to yours? But start with them. What might happen there? That's like the first one
1: that jumped into my name. Ask them what they need. Don't assume. That's right. I was going to say, you know, we write about this in working together because that is one of the things that Deb's talking about is that we, and I get it back to the productivity conversation. We're all are sort of stressed to do more and we have less time and now we're working from home and we're tackling all of that. You know, when you're working together with other people, get curious about what do they know? What do they need? Right. And this happens. I get it. You know, you're just... Trying to sit down with somebody from accounting and get that number so you can do your budgeting. We're in budgeting process right now. So you can do your budgeting, you know, for next year and what it is you need instead of just sort of going, hey, how's it going for you? Man, I know how stressed I am at this time of year. You must be going off the rails. You know what I mean? Can I help you in some way? And then get into relationship with that person and actually meet them where they are. And that's one of the very simple things that you can do.
0: Kate, what about people working from home? You just mentioned like a lot of people working from home. How do you build connections when I mean, oftentimes you are like, you know, sending a a message via Slack or Microsoft Teams, like to your county, hey, I need the I need this counting spreadsheet or whatever for recon. And but you don't even you skip the part of like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how do you do that when you're virtual like that? How do you build connection?
1: You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that are out there, like, and we see these companies struggling with this. It's not like I think there's one answer, but like, let's have a cup of coffee together. Let's have a 15-minute meeting instead of a two-minute interaction on Slack, let's have a cup of coffee together. Let's check in, you know, see how you're doing. That's if you feel the desire and the need to do that, right? That's why you are at the center because if you are not happy about what is happening, this is the thing that is like so topical right now then stop playing the victim stop blaming them whoever they are and start being the person you want to be so if that is something that is not working for you start doing it with other people and see what happens
2: and part of it is the vulnerability to ask for what you need right like Kate and I wrote this whole book. We work virtually, Kate's in Boulder. I'm in San Francisco. We went 18 months without even being in the same proximity to each other, wrote a book, launched a company, have had a very busy year with clients, all remote. And one of the things that we learned is we need to connect before we just jump into our work right? So if we're going into a meeting with our marketing team, we'll get on a call 30 minutes ahead. And all we might do is be like, Hey, what'd you have for dinner last night? How are you doing today? What's happening? But it's a place to connect and get grounded with each other before we launch into the doing of our day. And to Kay's point, there are a thousand different ways that companies are working to make this happen. And I'm going to go back to the model in the book. It starts with you understanding what do I need? Look at how fast it happened with us. We got on a call and we're like, zim, bam, boom. Now we're talking about all kinds of stuff, right? It can happen, but part of it is the intention to want to have that happen and finding those little ways that weave then significance of uh, the human to the doing of our time together.
1: Yeah, we do make up that it's going to take so much time. It's going to take so much time. And 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 it's just not true. It could just be like, hey, how's your day going? Right. Before you dive into whatever it is you're there to talk about, you know, and then they might ask you, well, hey, how's it going? My day's going pretty good, actually. I'm feeling pretty good about stuff. And then, boom, you're off. You're done. And part of the secret of that is it's not yours to fix.
2: I can Kate can say, how's your day going? And I can be like, it sucks over here, right? Like the dishwasher backed up. The dog has done things on the floor. You know, they're cutting trees outside. Like, (laughs) you know, those days happen. And it's not for Kate to fix it. It's for her just to be like, wow, Dev, that's a lot going on. What do you need from me so that we can move on with what we need to move on with? Not like, oh, geez, we better stop today. You know, we were doing a session with a a senior team and people had talked about the vulnerabilities in their lives and what was hard. And this one guy gave this great example. He said, I don't know who it was, some famous basketball player's dad had died. And he said, that guy showed up and took the court And he said, that's what we have to do. We still have to show up and take the court. But everybody had compassion for him that night for how strong, how courageous, how whatever that own emotion was for themselves was watching him take that court and why it was so important for him to show up that day and play. Had he taken the court and we had not known that about him, the connection with him as a human would have been very different. So this metaphor of no matter what's happening, we still have to take the court. But boy, taking the court, knowing that your people around you are cheering you on and holding you up or whatever it is, that's humanity coming to work.
0: One of the things I find about connecting with people is that there's a lot, a lot of people just ask really shitty questions to get conversations started. They ask, like, how are you doing? And it's like, of course, you're going to get a crappy answer back. It's like, mm-hmm. fine, I'm fine, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I'm doing well. But if you ask something specific, like something a little deeper, you're probably going to get a better answer too. I mean, do you, are any conversation questions that come to mind for you guys to really like, Right off the bat, get deep into a conversation. Yeah,
1: I mean, we teach people how to ask what we call powerful questions. And you start with what? Start with what? And then fill in the blank. What's the best thing that's happened to you today so far? What excites you about tomorrow?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it.
1: One of my favorites is what else? Don't just assume that the first answer is it. If you want to go deeper, ask the question, what else? right? Because then you're basically saying, I'm really listening to you. And I know there's more here.
2: One of my favorite ones is what's important to you about that? Because we say all these things, right? Like, oh, you know, I, I'm really excited because I had, you know, fettuccine for lunch, you know, what do you like about that? Oh, I really like the gooey cheesy sauce, you know? We'll say more about that, right? Suddenly yeah. you're having a whole different conversation than what would you have for lunch today? Do
0: you find that like even people who are not comfortable being vulnerable and going deep into stuff like that, could they survive in an environment where you're asking deep questions all the time like that?
1: <laughs> it's our favorite kind of client. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, we've good. done like we've done so much work in Silicon Valley, where you know we're dealing with well, I might very lovingly call very cynical, very analytical thinking people who are solving some of the biggest sort of technology out there, and even they are willing to play. Because they're humans too. And that's what we're trying to do is encourage these humans to connect with each other in whatever and over whatever topic they want to.
2: We were finishing up with, uh, you know, we do these as cohorts because we think that also builds the cohesion inside the organization. You have a group of people who are going through these transformational experiences and learning together. And uh, so we were finishing up one of these and there was the... what I would consider a salty, you know, a salty head of engineering for this company at, with tears in his eyes says, "Who ever knew that the soft stuff was the really hard stuff? Who knew? Who knew? And, and kudos to those who step forward to do this work. They will be on the leading edge of what comes next with people and productivity in their workplace. At least that's our big belief and we're starting to see it in the outcomes of some of the work we're doing with clients now.
0: I I love what you just said about like the soft stuff, the hard, actually the hard stuff, because I think this is my belief. I I know that you guys believe this too, but I think to be a successful leader in today's day and age, and even in the future, we're going to need to know how to do this stuff. We're going to need to have emotional intelligence. We're going to need to know how to connect with people. We're going to have to be vulnerable. The strong stoic leader is, I don't think it's going to, that person's not going to survive in, in, tomorrow's business world. That's right.
1: You know, one of the things that comes up for me, you know, really two things come up for me. One is this idea that, you know, you really do need to start practicing some of these emotional intelligence skills. Start small. Just get curious. Listen over there, right? You know, and that's where we sort of focus on some of these very simple sort of skills. And I think it's where COVID is actually forcing this a little bit, right? We used to be like work- and home. And now all of that is sort of.
0: <laughs> hey, it's all bleeding together.
1: And so, I mean, in a weird way, I think COVID is actually forcing this issue a little bit more than perhaps pre COVID because our worlds are, are being meshed up.
0: Sometimes the most challenging and adverse times in the moment, they suck, but we learn a lot about ourselves and other people. So I, I say we take this time, the challenging time, and learn more about ourselves and come out better on the back end. I
2: love that. Kate and I often say, you don't learn from a place of comfort. You learn and grow from a place of discomfort because it's pushing up against something that matters to you. And part of it is pausing and seeking to understand, become aware of what matters and then choose. To have more of that in your life and less of other things.
1: You know, and this book is not just, it's not just filled with stories and these five practices. It really is the way we have intended it anyway. We'll see how it's received, but is that this becomes something that you can go through yourself and you can learn about yourself and pick one practice and one skill and just try that and see how that changes. There's a lot of skills and practices and tools in this book so that, you know, you can bite size, try a couple of these different things to make the change that you want to see in your own workplace.
2: We've really written it to Kate's point. You can do it by yourself. It's designed for teams or groups of people to go through together. So you can have a book club, you could do a team group. We've got a guide on our website you can get if you buy five books or more, or if you're nice to us and reach out, we might, you know, even help you out. You know, there's, you know, we've designed or working with an instructional designer so that people can go through sort of a self-paced, it's a blended learning approach, self-paced, and then you come together as a group and you Talk about some of the awareness points and things that you're noticing because these soft skills, you really do have to do with other humans. They really aren't something that you can just go over there and read about in a book or, you know, we've broken down what we consider platitudes, right? Lots of people talk about trust, but inside trust is creating safety, which is the, one of the practices in the book, the outcomes, the words that tend to be platitude. We've given very concrete practices and some very practical approachable skills for people to try alone as a team, as an organization, as a leadership team and see what happens. More humanity will come to work. That's what will happen.
0: Debbie, Kay, this this has been such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed having you both on the show. A- any parting thoughts or like, you know, I'll give you last word. Anything you want to share with people or just anything that we didn't cover that you want to share?
1: No, I just want to put an emphasis on our model is absolutely puts you at the center because I absolutely believe that humanity starts with you if you become conscious of what no longer serves you and you have the courage to try something different, to try being that different person in that meeting, we believe that real change will happen because of that. No matter how much positional power you have or you don't have in the organization, you can change the people that you are interacting with. And if I change you, and then you, and then you, now we're talking. The other thing I'd add on, I think to
2: that is, and we've been given this feedback over and over and over again, is these are human skills, right? They will benefit you and your workplace. They will benefit you and your life. And I firmly believe this book has the potential to change you. And so I invite people to check us out. We have a website, order our book, join our movement. There's a newsletter. There's a whole, the world's got to change people and we need everybody to be part of it. So join in.
0: Awesome. We'll put a link to your book and your website all in the show notes. So go check that out. Thank you both for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a joy.